episode 241 with Mr. Douglas Valentine, author of, amongst other books, The Phoenix Program, The Use of... Uh, is it showing up right? Come on. The Phoenix Program, The Use of Terror... America's Use of Terror in Vietnam. And um, before I go into a tirade about how much I enjoyed the book, how about you introduce yourself, sir? Well, um, I'm an author. Uh, before I was an author... I climbed trees for a living. I was a top climber with tree services and college dropout. I didn't get political until I was 30 and my father told me what happened to him in World War II. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'd been a prisoner of war. And the camp that he was in, um, there were events there that the military covered up. Okay. And um, that started um, me thinking about other things. And um, I hadn't really, um, it, it was my first book. So, and it was a good book. So all of a sudden I went from being a working class zero to, to being a writer, you know. And, and it was like, whoa, what's <laughs> this, you know, it's going to be easy. I'm going to live in a mansion, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not like that. But yeah. anyway, um, uh, it started me, what happened to my father started me wondering what happened in Vietnam because yeah. uh, I'm of the Vietnam generation and the civil rights generation. Uh, I was brought up in the 50s and 60s. So I wanted to see if there was anything that happened in the Vietnam War that was comparable to what happened to my father. And I went to a um, VA uh, hospital center, you know, uh, local the guy said, have you ever heard of the Phoenix program? And I said, no, what's the Phoenix program? <laughs> you know, that was in like 19, end of 1983. Okay. And um, uh, I didn't really like most Americans, even to today, didn't know much about the Vietnam War, you know, you were for it, against it, you had um, somebody in your family went there and it affected you that way or you're a veteran and you know affected you that way whatever to whatever extent that was you know i mean it was varying effects Uh, but uh, i didn't know anything about it so i the guy at the va center said there was a guy in the hospital or who went there on an outpatient basis i can't remember which who had been in the phoenix program that had talked about it in there um therapy sessions and um, that he would ask the guy if the guy would talk to me but uh, then got back a couple of weeks later and said no the guy wouldn't do it he was afraid that if he talked about the Phoenix program he'd lose his benefits his government benefits you know and uh, which is a which was to some extent the hammer that the government had held over my father and I realized that um, you know for a lot of people people who are involved in covert operations it never ends you know you sign these sort of you sign these kind of well they're not kind of you sign non-disclosure yeah. statements agreements with the military and the government if you're in the cia never tell what happened and um you know just like trump or his girlfriend yeah 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 right yeah yeah <laughs> You know, and if you tell, you get sued and and you get uh, slandered, and you know. um, uh, uh, So, so the kinds of things that happened in the Phoenix program are institutionally covered up, and this is what enables these sort of things to happen on a massive scale. And back and back in the day of Vietnam, this sort of thing was just becoming. exploding as a as a um, way of doing business okay so i went to find out about the phoenix program and uh, i first i uh, the first thing i did was start talk you know sending out queries in the veteran magazines for veterans to talk to me about their experience you know and i got a few guys that came forward not too many that way because they had most of them had non-disclosure agreements yeah, yeah. A few would break ranks. And I also sent a letter to William Colby, okay. who had been the head of the CIA yeah, yeah. from 1973 to 1975. 
And he was a guy um, who had been a station chief, a CIA station mm -hmm. chief in South Vietnam mm -hmm. in 1959, 60, 61, 62. And um, in, uh, from 1960, Nine until 1972, he had run an organization in South Vietnam called um, CORD, Civil Operations and Revolutionary Development, within which the Phoenix program was hidden. Okay. That was, uh, you know, on an organizational yeah. graph feed. That's where yeah. you would find the Phoenix Directorate. Okay. And, uh, and Colby had testified about the Phoenix program and I read his testimony. He testified in 1970, 1971, uh, about, at, at which point the Phoenix program was starting to become controversial. Yes. And he was also questioned about it again in 1973 at his confirmation hearings to become the director of central intelligence. But anyway, um, you know, I read all that and I started reading books about Vietnam and, and you know, surprise, Colby agreed to help me. Yeah. Yeah, he answered my letter. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I was more shocked than anybody. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, I was just, like I said, a schlepper. Yeah. I wasn't. I've got, you know, I've gone to Columbia Journalism School. Sure. Been a historian sure. or any kind of academic. Yeah. I was just a kid, but I think... A young, you know, a young guy who was trying to make it on his own, sure. and I, somehow that appealed to Colby. I was, I, I was going to say, I wrote a letter, or I sent an email to, um, I sent an email to, um, what was it? I sent an email to the office of the uh, the NSA, trying to get the director of the NSA, General Nakasone, the current director. And I actually yeah. got an email from him saying that he was flattered, but he was too busy. He's too busy at the time. And I was just like, oh, my God, he responded. But, yeah, sorry, go on, go well, on. you never know. Yeah. You know, I mean, the moral of the story is try to, you know, try to get there, and then when you get there, make it up. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't expect him to, to say yes, but all yeah. of a sudden I'm going down to, you know, to Washington, to his law office, and, and he um, – started sending me to he sent me some people and uh, sent me to one guy who had actually been the first cia director of the phoenix program a guy named evan parker from 1967 to 1969 evan parker ran the program heaven colby had been in the oss together okay and they had been buddies throughout their cia service and he was a trusted colby associate and sure. um as soon as once colby had sent me to him he just opened up okay. and he gave me a roster that named everybody that had been in the Phoenix Directorate, which was the main or, you know, office in Saigon, and all their names. Okay. And I copied them all down and over the next couple of years just tried to um, get in contact with them. And, um, you know, because Colby was backing me a lot of these people, once I contacted them, would check with Colby and he'd say, yeah, tell them. But anyway, let me tell you what the Phoenix program was. Okay. And to do that, I have to give you five minutes of background about the Vietnam War. Okay, let's do okay. it. Let's do it. Um, as you may or may not know, uh, if your audience is as young as you, a lot of them may not know. Vietnam was a colony, a French colony, from the middle of the 18th, 19th century. Yep. For 100 years, France had... Um, colonized um, uh, Vietnam, which went all the way up to the Chinese border, Laos and, and Cambodia, and they called it French Indochina. Mm -hmm. and, and these um, uh, countries were dirt poor and uh, agrarian, and the, the French um, uh, used them, uh, set up like puppet administration, yep. where, you know, in the main cities, and then uh, created uh, their own little militias to protect their rubber plantations and their their other kind of plantations, and that was a happy situation for the French right up until World War II, and the Japanese came along, and um, uh, um, there was a brief interruption in their colonial activities, yeah. and, and then that ended when World War II ended. The United States. Um, 
had a decision to make whether it would help the Vietnamese nationalists who had been fighting the French, you know, for a hundred years, okay. to have a nation of their own, or whether whether it wanted to back the French. Now, this is where it get, starts getting interesting because the people who were fighting the French were communists yeah. under the leadership of a guy named Ho Chi Minh, yep. and their 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 purpose of the communists was not world domination it was to win their country back from the french and and to redistribute the land which the french now own 90 percent of yeah yeah you know i mean they they came in with battleships and bombarded the coasts and they had modern uh weaponry and they just you know ground everybody under and and the, the vietnamese under ho chi minh were a guerrilla, guerrilla force. And um, after World War II, when the United States started fighting um, the Soviet Union, and then Fran- uh, China became communist under Mao mm-hmm. in 1949, yeah. and then there's Korea in 1950, and the United States went to war with communists around the, communism around the world, and it became as all the propaganda in the United States became anti-communism, yep. and and anybody who was a communist anywhere was in the gun slaves. Yep. And so, um, and you could have dropped a communist from any American ceiling onto their dining room table, and they would not know it was a communist. You know, I mean, the problem is that communists look like anybody else. So how the hell do you tell a communist from somebody else's yeah. communist unless they walk around? You know, carrying yeah. a book and a, waving a flag, yeah. and, and this got to be the problem in South Vietnam. Yeah. By 1955, the resistance to the French under Ho Chi Minh had grown to such a point that the United States and China agreed to divide the country in half, and the North, centered in Hanoi was given to Ho Chi Minh and the communists and they chased the French and all the French supporters out of North Vietnam and they went down to the South Vietnam which was now under American control all right and uh, a country that had been around for a thousand years was now divided in half mm-hmm. this is starting in 1955 yeah and um, um, South Vietnam was declared a communist free zone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, despite yeah. the fact that communists had been fighting there for a hundred years. Yeah. And and the Americans being, you know, culturally sensitive, rigged an election and and and, and arranged for a Catholic to become yeah yeah right president yeah. of South Vietnam and the Catholics. At that point, we're like seven or eight percent of the population in a Buddhist country. Yeah, uh, I'll try to get the. You know, it's hard to move this along, but it's essential to understand. No, no, no. Take your time. I'm, I'm, I, I am thoroughly enjoying this. This is okay. This so is perfect. Around around 1960, the Buddhists have had it yeah. with this um, uh, Catholic dictator, whose name is Zian. And he's like Trump. He has a Trump. He has a family. He appoint, gives him yep. all the important jobs. Yep. Yep. And he has a political party. In order to be in that pol- political party, you got to swear loyalty to him. Yep. And if you want to get a job anywhere, you got to be swear loyalty to Zian. Yep. And most of these jobs are going to Catholics. Yep. And um, especially a lot of chat Catholics who have come down from the north. Yeah. And the Buddhists have had it by 1960, and they start. Um, resisting and in late 1960 the communists in South Vietnam formed what's called the National Liberation Front and this is a the beginning of uh, uh, armed opposition to this guy President Ziem and the Americans and its stated pers- purpose of the National Liberation Front is to chase the Americans out of South Vietnam. Mm-hmm. That's it. The, the yeah. Americans now running everything yeah. with GM as their puppet. Yeah. And um, they, the, this National Liberation Front, gets um, support from North Vietnam, but largely 
its supporters in the rural population in South Vietnam. And the National Liberation Front organizes a regular army, which is ragtag to say the least, yeah, you know, yeah. and they they hide out in the countryside where the communists are in control. Okay, and, and the communists have a lot of support from the rural population who don't know it's the same with the Vietnamese, those are those with Americans. They don't know a communist from a yeah, non-communist. Exactly, you know, exactly. everybody looks the same, you know, unless you say something, but they don't like the Americans telling them what to do or the Catholics. So the Buddhists start joining in and supporting this National Liberation Front, which also has a guerrilla army, which operates in areas which are controlled by the South Vietnamese army and police, which are content, uh, totally funded by the United States. Um, the United States sends police advisors from uh, the CIA and what's known as the uh, Public Safety Division of the Agency for International Development to train the police, they arm them, yeah. and in order to be a member, you gotta hate communists. Yeah. And, and they do the same with the army, you know, they send uh, their army officers back to the United States for training mm-hmm. and, and American soldiers uh, direct them against the National Liberation Front Army yeah. and and and, um, and militias, you know, their uh, secret guerrilla groups. And by 1963, the situation has gotten so bad and the um, government of South Vietnam is so unpopular and the Buddhists are, are just joining this National Liberation from left and right that the CIA decides to kill its president, Ziem. Yep. And they do. Yep. They assassinate him. Just like that. And now Ziem's gone, and they install, the you know, Americans install a cabal of mostly Buddhist generals, who at this point have become entirely dependent on Americans for their money. Mm-hmm. And they make a deal with uh, one guy, one general named Key, General Key, who had been part of the uh, South Vietnamese Air Force, to make put him in charge of all the security uh, agencies in South Vietnam. And in exchange, they give him a free hand to smuggle drugs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Laos <laughs> and, and Thailand. And, and, and that becomes the arrangement basically with these generals. I did an interview with one CIA officer that William Colby introduced me to, a guy named um, Thomas Donahue. It's almost like your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, Donahue was this guy out of Chicago who had joined, who had gone to Columbia um, and uh, um, became head of, um, joined the CIA because he saw it as a growth industry and uh, uh, um, was put in charge of what's called the CIA's covert action branch in South Vietnam in 1964. And his, his purpose was to organize all the CIA's covert operations and spread them across the country. You know, the CIA had at that, up to that point not been going about this in an industri- on an industrial yeah. scale, yeah. but now now it's going to go about it after GM is killed and the, the, the Buddhists are making, and the NFL are making all these gains. They're going to, like, really ramp it up. And Donahue said to me, there was a different guy that he was in liaison with from the government every month. You know, the governments are, of South Vietnam are changing now, like all the time, because nobody can, there's no stability. Yeah. And he said, the first question everybody, every guy, new guy would ask me is, how much opium is it for me? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, right. It's you were saying. Yeah, it went from it went from intelligence being the main product of the quote unquote the game to money. Yeah, yeah, so you know they're 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 conscripting all these generals and politicians to follow American policy, but the only way they'll do it is if they can make money. It's just like in South America or anywhere else around the world where the CIA operates. They've Afghanistan. Bribed, they bribe people to work for them, yeah. and because the the people that are working for them are betraying their own country, yeah. and they are in, in implementing American policies. Not the policies that are popular to the to the people in the country where they're you know allowed to become leaders. Yeah. All right, so 
um, things don't get much better. So in 1965, the Americans and their wisdom decide to start sending the military, U.S. military forces to South Vietnam to prop up this wobbly government. And uh, um, the Marines land up north along the DMZ and uh, uh, army units start spreading out around the rest of the country. And they are told that they are fighting communism and that they're protecting God and democracy in yeah. South Vietnam. And these guys land in South Vietnam. And again, everybody looks the same to them. Yeah. I mean, it's Vietnamese everywhere you look. Yeah. And, and you don't know who's on, who's on your side and who isn't. So the military, doing what the military does, just starts bombing villages yep. into dust. Just bombs and the them. military, when it gets to a village where it's told it's a communist village, just wipes it out, burns just, everybody's houses, and, and, and the, the people flee into what are called refugee relocation centers. And, and these are just barbed wire corrals with people starving because now they've been bombed out of their ancestral homes. And I got nothing to do. And pretty soon, all the young girls who are 13, 14, 15, 16, are becoming prostitutes. And and the American soldiers are, are like, yeah, hey, well, we're all commie gooks. Yeah. F-U-C-K. Yeah. And, and now, suddenly, instead of saving this country from uh, from communism, they're making everybody hate them even more. Yeah, they're, yeah. And, and people are starting to throw bombs in, in Saigon and they're, and they're, you know, um, the average everyday person doesn't know that they're supposed to hate communism or, or yeah. yellow skinned people. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, and yeah. they're just reacting to, to the escalation that's going on all around them. They're losing their homes, they're losing yeah. their livelihood. They're watching their daughters be uh, put into prostitution on an industrial scale, yeah. you know, yeah, all, these, all these people are fleeing to Saigon from their ancestral farms and, and there's nothing for them to do except get involved in drugs and, and sex. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. And it's coming horrible for yeah. the people. Yeah. They've never seen anything. They've never seen a TV. They don't know that we, that we're going to the moon. They don't know anything. They're a bunch of people that have wooden sandals and they farm rice and they have their little town. And now all of a sudden a bunch of superior, taller, well-nourished white guys with, with uh, M16s and M60s and Hueys come in. These people have never seen a radio, and now these guys are coming in and bombing them from 60,000 feet. What is the logical conclusion other than you're going to say, screw these guys? You know, um, for the sold American soldiers in South Vietnam, they don't give a good goddamn. No, my, my uncle was... You know, my, they're, uh, yeah. they're, they're fighting for their lives, and they're trying to have some fun when they can have some fun. Well, I was gonna and, say, of course, I was gonna the machine is wound up back in the United States, yeah. you know, saying either you support the, you know, the soldiers or you're a traitor. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get into the propaganda well, I was, later. I was going to say, but my me, uncle... Just focus on... Phoenix sure, I was going to say, my uncle... too far to feel. All right, I was going right, to say... So but wait, 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 I was going to say, yeah, no, my uncle, sorry to interrupt you, my uncle was 18, and he was drafted into it. He's, he passed away several years ago. He didn't want to go. He was 18 years old, and the story he told was like... You're 18 years old. You're sleeping in a canopy under the trees, 8,000 miles from home, and you're just wondering, what the hell am I doing? So yeah, they yeah. didn't want to be. They there. don't even. Most yeah. soldiers don't even see a shoot now. Yeah, sorry, but uh, and, and so when they're wandering around, you know, walking over the hills and through the valleys, anybody who looks yeah. Vietnamese is the enemy. Yeah, you know, they just don't know. I mean, this is how something like the My Lai Massacre. Yeah. So anyway, but the big brains that are running the war, you know, who have not yet, you know, who can never under any circumstances admit the failure, yeah. have decided that the only way they can start to turn this thing around is if they go after the insurgency that is, is, is subverting you know, is fighting against them in South Vietnam. They, the, the North Vietnamese soldiers that are coming down the Ho Chi Minh Trail and coming over from Laos and Cambodia, the army can fight them. And the Navy can bomb um, 
uh, air, you know, like John McCain and Air Force. Yeah. Navy's Navy warplanes, they can bomb Hanoi. That, you know, so the Air Force and the Navy, are they're going to keep doing their thing. And the Army is going to fight the North Vietnamese troops that are now pouring into South Vietnam. They're going to fight them up in the hinterlands. But in the rest of South Vietnam, you got to fight this National Liberation Front with its guerrilla army and its guerrilla militia. And most importantly, the secret cadre that run the National Liberation Front. Okay, and these are all pretty much hardcore communists and they exist undercover in they have jobs all throughout south vietnam all right in every province the the national liberation front which has now been operating for a couple of years has set up a shadow government in every province and district you know which is like saying every state and county in south vietnam they have set up a secret government which relays orders which, you know, supposedly emanate from Ho Chi Minh and Hanoi, you know, through secret agents coming in and out of the country on where to fight and how to fight and, and uh, to recruit people into the National Liberation Front. It's a government with, with a, um, you know, if you look at an organizational chart, it looks like any other government, except all these cadre are secret. And it's decided in the fall of 1966 that the only way you can win the war is to kill everyone in these countries. Yeah. They, All right. Yeah. Just and, and, and they give the job to the CIA and they say, figure out a way to do this. And at the same time, to pacify the population. So, you know, they have, they have two, two jobs. One is to kill off all these countries which they estimate at the time to be about 75 or 80,000. And the other is to pacify this population of people who are just traumatized by having their country bombed to smithereens and are gone over to supporting the National Liberation Front. And that requires a massive psychological warfare operation to what they call win the hearts and minds of the people. And by 19, the summer of 1967, the CIA has organized the Phoenix program as the instrument that is going to do these two things to kill off identify all these contracts secretly knock them off and at the same time terrorize all these people in south vietnam into supporting the government by south vietnam by telling them if you don't support us we'll put your name on the list of contracts yeah or contrary supporters yeah because they can't convince there's no there's no logical way they convince all these buddhists and people who have been fighting for their national liberation for a hundred years for generations that the american god and that and 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 you know american i values you know which are at this point just like I mean, racist yeah. beyond anything oh, you oh, can yeah. imagine. Oh, yeah. Always are, are, are really good for them. You know, they want to run. They still want to run their own country like Buddhists. There's there's a bunch of political parties in South Vietnam that aren't communists, but they're willing to work with the communists. But the government starts spying on them too to make sure they don't get too close to the to these. Um, the the one of them is called the. VNQDD. They're a major political party that's against the communists, and they're aligned with the Kuomintang Chinese. Yeah. And they're trying to overthrow the government from the right. And you don't have to convince them to be communists. Yeah. But the major party is the DIBS, and um, they're a nationalist party that fought the French. They're against the communists, but they're willing to have. Um, I've always been willing to have a. Um, coalition government with the communists, but there's a very high level tier of the Phoenix program that goes after them. Okay. Anybody in the South Vietnamese government who wants to have a rapport or wants to compromise with the, with the communists in, within the South Vietnamese government in these other political parties now also becomes the target of the Phoenix program. 
So they're, this is the idea of how they're going to solve the war. And they, they like I said, the, night, the summer of 1967, they put it together. And the way they organize it is they have what's called, originally Phoenix was called ICEX, I-C-E-X, Intelligence Coordination Exploitation. And Phoenix brings together 26, 25 or 26 different agencies and organizations which are operating in South Vietnam from the military, military intelligence, military special forces, from the CIA, which is its private militias, uh, its private hit teams, everybody that it has on its payroll, which by this time is thousands of people in South Vietnam who are in, um, they're either uh, working for the government as province chiefs or district chiefs, or they're in the, the court system, or, or they're in you know administrative positions all throughout the country, and they all work for the CIA, all those people are involved with um, the Phoenix program and the police forces. And the CIA creates its very own FBI, which it's called the special branch. And it's, its sole objective is to go after communist cadres and people within the South Vietnamese government who oppose the American policy. And, and uh, it, the CIA builds starting in 1965 a secret interrogation center mm-hmm. in every province in South Vietnam. In my book, I yeah. actually interviewed yeah. the CIA officer, John Patrick Muldoon, yeah. who ran the program and yeah. built all these secret interrogation centers, which are run by this special branch of the police, which is totally funded by the CIA. Yeah. And all the people have to report back yeah. to the CIA everything they learn yeah. and and not only that all these picks are run by CIA advisors and and they're all bugged yeah. and all the you know and these these places exist specifically to find out who these contracts are and in 1967 they start wiping trying to wipe out these people and and it becomes this massive campaign of terror across South Vietnam and the CIA relies on informants in the villages, in the towns, in, you know, across the country, this vast network of informants, which start ratting out anybody who could be suspected of being a contract, one of these 75,000 contracts. Now, people are ratting out somebody who ran off with their girlfriend. Yeah. The rat out somewhere who's a business competitor for the, you know, the cement Let's say Pepsi business, and you know, in this district. They're, they're, you know, I mean, the Viet Cong themselves, the, the Vietnamese con, con, communists are painting loyal citizens as members of this organization and getting rid of their enemies because there's no way for the Americans who are running this program, again, to know communists. From samples. Sure. I mean, you can't just look at a person and yeah. know what they are. Yeah. And and these Ameri- they start this staffing um, they create for Phoenix across the country, a network of these IOCs, I O C C S, which are the foundation stone of the Phoenix program, intelligence operations coordinating centers. And they place one in every district in South Vietnam. They're all up and running by 1968. And in the districts, they call them DIOCs. Uh, you know, District Intelligence Operations Coordinating Center in the province, which is the model for nowadays fusion centers yeah. in the United States. Yeah. They call them PIOCs, and then they have the, the um, and they all work with the PICs the the um, these interrogation centers and they by 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 the end of the, you know two or three years there's an interrogation center in every dot in every district you know and and, and managed by the police or people who are just totally you know uh, mercenary and doing it torturing and killing people for fun and money and and at the same time the cia has a mercenary army called which originally called top counter-terrorists and which in 1966 it starts calling the provincial reconnaissance units the PRU. yeah and these are the main instrument of the phoenix program 
And these are guys who are taken out of prisons. They're uh, Cambodians who do not like South Vietnamese. They're, they're um, uh, mercenaries. And they, a couple of them, you know, a, like a company or a platoon of them or whatever assigned to every district. And they start working with the, the Phoenix program. People start running them. And they start going after all these cadres everywhere. So, and that's the Phoenix program. And at the time, a lot of generals, army generals, are aghast. I mean, they're, you know, the regular army at that point wanted to win the war, but they did not want to resort to the tactics of the German SS and yeah. the Gestapo, yeah. which is exactly yeah. what this is. And a lot of these army generals had fought the fascists in World War II. And I said, hold on a minute, CIA. Yeah. We've become what we were fighting. Yes. And and there's resistance to on the, uh, on the part of the military. And then, you know, like uh, uh, after Trump, was president for two years. He had managed to get rid of everybody who wasn't an ideologic adherent. Yeah. And after two years of the Phoenix program operating, the military is pretty much able to get rid of everybody yeah. who's against Phoenix yeah. and institute them with ideologues who are now willing to accept um, um, Phoenix tactics and strategies as the only way to win the war. And they, it's the, the Phoenix program in South Vietnam is the beginning of the CIA's political indoctrination of the military, yeah. which changes the armed forces forever because their backs were against the wall. And it was the only way they could save face and maybe win the war. And so they eventually turn themselves into a fascist force of uh, relying on and uh, you know these um, militias that they've created to go after the cadres which operate exactly like the SS and the police force which operates exactly like the Gestapo you know and if you kill one of them then they go to a village and they kill a hundred people yeah and it never ends up on anybody's yeah. you know radar yeah and by 1969 the program has become so effective and you know, at least in the minds of the Americans, the big brains running the war, um, that they actually uh, start promoting, they, they actually go public with the existence of the Phoenix program in 1969, and the CIA turns it over to the military. And since 19, you know, since that time, and they claim they keep claiming that they wiped out these 75,000 contracts, and yet every time they count. There's still 75,000 of them because every time they kill somebody, another guy comes in and takes his place. Uh, so, so, you know, they're starting to think, well, I don't know if I can say it on your radio show, but they're starting to think, what the fuck, Buck? You, I mean, know, you can say, uh, you can it, say it, whatever the fuck you want. Contrast is not the way to go because every time you kill one, another one pops up. You know, yeah. they're like, they're like weeds in your garden to use a really terrible analogy. You know, yeah. these are human beings who are fighting for the, the liberation of their country. And as soon as the, the military takes over the Phoenix program in 1969, the National Liberation Front is disbanded and the South Vietnamese and the North Vietnamese declare the existence of the People's Revolutionary Government and say, we're taking it back. You know, we've had enough of this. And, and um, by then, the South Vietnamese army and, and police forces are so demoralized, they're starting to think maybe we should negotiate with the communists and stop all the fighting. But, but of course, in order to keep the fighting going and declare victory, they got to keep soldiers, pour, American soldiers, pouring in. And so the propaganda in the United States just keeps ratcheting up and up and uh and 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 they get very good the yeah. military yeah. and the uh, state department and uh, governors and and uh, you know the anti-war movement is beginning to climax i mean people are going crazy so you gotta use all these methods that the cia instituted in south vietnam you got to start using them against the anti-war movement in the united states and this is where the Phoenix program starts making its early incursions 
through uh, red squads, you know, which are the CIA training yeah. police departments in the United States. It's like they train the police in uh, in, in uh, South Vietnam and all around the world. Now they're starting to do it in the United States, and they're going after anybody who can be labeled a leftist. Mm-hmm. And leftists and communists in the United States start becoming as as um, feared and hated as communists in the United States, and it allows a, a demagogue like Trump to get elected in the United States because he can say, I hate communism, I hate socialism, yeah. you know, kill them all. Yeah. And people in the United States who are the most brainwashed people on the face of the earth, you know, just say he's for God, he's against communism. Yeah, I'm going to vote for him. Sure. But it's starting in, you know, this, this period, 1969, 1970, this is when the United States really starts using Phoenix tactics against the anti-war movement, against the civil rights movement. They start knocking off Black Panthers. You know, I mean, assassinations. They've already knocked off in 1968 MLK. They photographed it. knocked off Bobby Kennedy. You know, assassinations, just like Phoenix, are becoming, in South Vietnam, are becoming uh, epidemic in the United States. And And since then, you know, when the war ended, even though the assassinations stopped, law enforcement and the Justice Department, Justice Department realized that that's the way, using um, psychological operations to pacify people yeah. and terror to go against the cadre who are against the government is the way you have to organize the United States security system. So the Phoenix program comes back to to the United States incrementally. I interviewed one guy who'd been a sergeant in South Vietnam uh, from the time uh, he was up in a Pleiku province, which is in the highlands. And he, when he got there in 1967, he was made a military liaison to the Phoenix program. Um, and he gets back to the United States in like 68 or 1969, and he's assigned to a military intelligence group in the United States. There were six of them. They have been dismantled. Dis- dismantled. They were dismantled up until 19, uh, um, 2001. The military intelligence was, uh, you know, uh, not allowed to the United States against its domestic United States domestic operation. Yeah. Started around 1974 at the end of the Vietnam War, where it was very much alive in 1969. And this guy's back in the United States, and he's in the group that's headquartered in Washington D.C. And he's assigned to a counterintelligence unit, which is where he was in, in the Phoenix program. And he walks into the counterintelligence office, and on the wall are pictures of Abby Hoffman, Reddy Davis, all the leaders of the anti-war movement. And he's sitting there, and there's tears coming out of his eyes. And he goes, this is Phoenix. Yeah. This is a Phoenix program. This is a Phoenix program back in the United States with the military running operations against American dissidents. And he was just weeping, and, and he said, it's here. And he said... And it's still here. It's absolutely and it here. Into like seven, uh, 2012. Okay? And, and it was just out of his mind. Yeah. Anyway, people don't understand it because of the psychological operations that yep. the United States military yep. and uh, started, you know, waging against Americans around this time. Yep. Reagan becomes the great, you know, in 1980, he starts uh, combating. The Vietnam War sy- syndrome uh, starts waging wars against communists in South Vietnam, uh, in Central America, you know, and he makes it popular all over again. Rambo shows up yep. and says um, in his, you know, Rambo movies, uh, nothing's over, you know, they called us baby killers and they spit on us when we came home. You know, it's all a bunch of BS, yeah. but it's it's all part of the military making its way into the media, yep. into government, and every aspect of the, of American society until by the time 2001 comes along and then a, a bunch of crazed Muslims from somewhere, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Um, nobody ever really did a, investigated too deeply into yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, apparently most of them came from Saudi Arabia, but somehow the problem was Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, after 2001, like I said, uh, uh, 
the central government and the elites in this country and the industrialists use that terrorist incident as a way to um, to really uh, centralize all the security forces in the United States yeah. and do the same thing that the Phoenix CIA and the military had done in South Vietnam through the Phoenix program, which to, is to organize an intelligence operations coordinating center in every uh, state in the United States. And they called, uh, they create a Department of Homeland Security and they start doing Phoenix on a, openly and 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 uh with it goes more psychological warfare than the united states had endured since the mccarthy era and it's just been ongoing yeah. and it's it's all military propaganda described dis, uh, disguised as uh, patriotism yeah and it's yeah. you know the military budget just keeps growing and people get dumber and dumber and dumber as the as the uh, propaganda escalates and escalates and escalates and you know it ends up with um, americans being so unsure of what is true and what is false and what is real and what is unreal that they can elect a demagogue like Donald Trump in 2016, yeah. you know, who yeah. is just blatantly racist, just like the war in Vietnam was yeah. blatantly racist. There was no, there was no doubt about it back, you know, during the war, it was a racist war. It was an ideological war against communists, but how the hell do you know what a communist is? You know, James Baldwin, like I said earlier, I didn't quote him, but he's the one that said, an American wouldn't know communists if it fell from the ceiling onto the dining room table. You know, the Trump people hate these communists. They hate socialism. Uh, I mean, with a, to the point where they'll grab a gun and join a militia because socialism is giving their money to somebody else. Yeah. You know, they're hard-earned tax dollars. Yeah. It's, you know, Medicare for all. It's, 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 it's um, you know, everybody having the right to to good health yeah. no man that's communism. communism that's socialism we can't have here god gave us inalienable rights yeah. he, you know yeah. god created america and he gave americans the inalienable right to say whatever the hell they want to carry guns yeah yeah <laughs> and that's it that's what it means to be American and everything else is unpatriotic yeah. and that is where all this military propaganda and I should add you know really way beneath the surface CIA propaganda and State Department propaganda and of course propaganda that emanates from all business in the United States you know capitalism is is the driving factor behind all this yeah <laughs> you know I mean uh, this is the stuff you learn in school civics you know and and and, and free enterprise and, yeah. and godless america yeah. all that stuff has accumulated to the point where you know a demagogue an ignorant racist like trump could get elected and that's the that's the crisis that we face in the united states today yeah. and it is all traceable back to the, the vietnam war and the um uh, origins of the phoenix program on the one hand going after targeting cadres of any kind of resistance through these secret operations and a massive psychological warfare operation to pacify the public. Yeah. It's, and that ends my hour. Of no, no, that, that was wonderful. I was going to say, it's, it gets, it's, do you have headphones? I can hear my voice coming through. Um, Is it me? No, it's I can hear my own feet. Okay, I think I'm good now. I was going to say what's really insidious about it is how it, these programs, they slither through presidency to presidency. So they can arise overtly in something like Donald Trump, but they can come in covertly. Like, some, like you mentioned in the opening of your book, the NDAA 2012, National Defense Authorization Act, suspension of the writ of habeas corpus. Like, Hey, I voted for Obama in 08, but I didn't learn about that until years later. That they can just—it's been incremental. Yeah, it's been right, no boiling the frog. Yes, it's been incremental, and yes, every administration has contributed yes. to it. But that's how—that's that, how know, they work. At the same time, that's how the concentration of capital in fewer and fewer yeah. hands, so that you have more people living on the on the margin of poverty and yeah. economic distress, and 
an explosion of billionaires. That's how it happens. And that happens simultaneously with this repression and psychological warfare. Anyway, are you still getting lots of feedback? No, 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 it's not. Okay, I hope I didn't ruin the whole thing. No, 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 it only only happened when I, that happens sometimes with podcasts where for like a random minute I start talking and I can get feedback and then it goes away. I haven't figured it out. But the other, yeah, the other one is, yeah, is, um, the only thing I could think of is when you said Phoenix came home to America. Well, one, I thought of the repealing of the Smith-Mund Act, M-U-N-D-T, in I think 2013, which was um, which was put into place in 1948 that said uh, the U.S. can't use propaganda on its own citizens, right? Because they, they did it in World yeah, War One, yeah, they did yeah. it in World War Two. repealed it in 2013. Doesn't get any news. Right yeah, on the heels of NDAA. Yes. It's what's behind this. Yes. The, the military, you know, what Eisenhower were. Yeah. Uh, yep. Six years ago. It's the military, military industrial, industrial complex. complex. Yep. It hasn't changed. No. It hasn't changed one iota, except that military industrial complex has done exactly what Eisenhower feared it would yep. do. It's taken over. And, yep. and, and people are just. Uh, propagandized to the point where uh, they don't know where they're coming or going, you know, and they just cling to uh, uh, their belief systems, you know, that have been ingrained in them. Uh, And nobody, everybody's so locked into, you know, this partisanship that it's almost impossible. It's like a kind of gridlock, you know, and and nobody can break out of it. And, 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 the military-industrial complex has created this yeah. deadlock, yeah. you know, because it keeps it's the, it's yes. the perfect way of pacifying yep. the population. It's, it's a brilliant I move. Know it's how a... else to explain it? No, it's... But until people start changing the way they think, until they go through, you know, really wrenching personal transformations, and and uh, you know, nothing will ever change. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I try to do. That's what I try to do with this podcast. I mean, I've, I'm 30 years old. I've I've jumped across the political spectrum several times. I've voted for presidents on both parties twice, and I would say currently I'm definitely more right leaning. But that's why I try to have on people that challenge my beliefs because if I just sit here and only talk to like you know conservatives. I don't like I don't learn anything. It's if I'm not, you know, it's like working out. If you go and lift a five pound weight every day and you build up your muscles, but then after six months, you never bump up the weight. You're never you're not growing. And at which point you become calcified and you become static in where you are. And that's why I, I, I always try and I try to read a lot. And then you see things like and I'll admit I didn't know anything about the Phoenix program. I thought I was well read. I didn't know a thing about the Phoenix program. And towards the end of it, when it's the guy saying the Phoenix programs come home, I realized I was like, I need to I need to reevaluate my entire belief system. And that's why I I mean, we saw in Portland just six months ago, right? The Department of Homeland Security guys in unmarked vans grabbing protesters. I mean, that is directly from the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act, which is itself directly a a descendant of the Phoenix program. I mean, who is that journalist, Hastings, that was killed? Well, I remember Hastings, and I remember he had gotten on the bad side of, I think, the Christian. Yeah, and Petraeus. You know, he had done some reporting about, um, you know, the Phoenix program. Yeah. Which was dismissed by generals in 1967 yeah has been the model for all military operations around the world yeah and the, the you know, nobody's yeah. having nobody's having tank battles anymore no that that's gone that's done in over forces. yeah and, and in afghanistan and iraq it was all phoenix style operations yeah. it was reported at the time you know yeah. where the cia was um backing a public government that it had installed and it had to go around through the countryside and identify and eliminate and eliminate anybody yeah. who might be said to be in opposition yeah. you know so so the military now has completely adopted the phoenix tactics you know of going after cadres but like i said more and more importantly 
it has adopted the idea that you have to um, shock and wall with a blanket of psychological operations to pacify the population. And, and as, as capitalism enters its crisis, it's more and more important for the super rich and the elites to, to keep you know, keep all the Americans at each other's throats, yeah. you know, rather than going after the people that control them, you know, and Mitch McConnell and, and Joe Biden go home at night and they, and they call each other on the phone <laughs> and they laugh, you know, and they, and they, they say, do. oh man, they, you know, those motherfuckers, you know, they ain't, do. Ain't, ain't democracy grand, you I, know, I, I bet. I mean, it's just listen. You know how are we going to keep up the act for the next four years? It's 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 WWF wrestling, right? They go out and beat the shit out of each other, and then they go into their trailers and they have you know they have a beer together. It's sure. it's it's yeah. It's it's but there's, there's no it's disgusting. And but what we can do, and I always try to think because I. Cause I I think being pessimistic and nihilistic to me that is just a slow form of suicide. So despite uh, massive odds that say that we're fucked and there's a there's a domestic phoenix program and we're heading towards oblivion, I try to stay positive and I try to stay optimistic, and it gets difficult. But I, at the very least, I try to just at least entertain open conversation and at least just don't don't let it. You know, don't let it drive us to opposite ends. Like, well, yeah, I would say to you in my closing statement <laughs> that it's a spiritual battle. It absolutely is, 110. percent You know, I mean, I had a friend. Well, this is just some poop though. But I had a friend who went to Vietnam in 1969. He was a documentary filmmaker, and he went with a guy named David Dellinger and. Okay. Some other people who were in the anti-war movement, and they went to North Vietnam to get American POWs and bring them back. Yeah. And the guy said, you know, I mean, one day he's, you know, an American, <laughs> you know, just trying to do uh, documentaries on on civil rights and stuff like that. And the next day he finds himself in North Vietnam. Yeah. And he said he got off the plane in North Vietnam with this delegation of leftists and peace activists and who of course he sympathized with you know they asked him for a reason and he got off the plane and there was all these vietnamese always said we're the most radiant human beings he had ever seen in his life and and here they are being bombarded every day and it was like they didn't have a care in the world and and they treated him and his friends like you know, without any like paranoia or without any fear, and they gave him free reign to do whatever they want. He talked told me about ending up down by the DMZ, and he's um, they're down by a bridge that the, the, the Americans are bombing every day, and every night the Vietnamese, Vietnamese people are building it up again. You know, and he wasn't allowed to film this bridge, but he jumped. He and he had a Vietnamese guy who was accompanying him. And he remembered standing in the water of this river with this Vietnamese, and, and this guy, who is my friend John 6'4", the, the, the documentary guy, with this Vietnamese guy standing on his shoulder diving into the water. And he said it was just everywhere they went, the people were just uh, undefeatable. Yeah. You, couldn't, you couldn't destroy their spirit. Yeah. You couldn't get their spirit. And they had nothing. Yeah. You know, they're recycling everything. Well, you know, they, they're fighting with sticks. Yeah. But they had, they were united. Yeah. And they had a, this beautiful spirit of, you know, well, maybe not this year, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, we will win. We will win. You can't find that here, that kind of unity in the United States, because we are so ideologically paralyzed. And, and, and anyway, it's, I just say to you that. Don't get dispirited. Yeah, it's, they're good old Viets. It's they get bombed every day, and at the same time, they're able to welcome Americans. Yes, with open arms. It's, and and to keep their spirits up, you know, and it's it's that spirit. Yeah, not a gun. Yeah, and not a religion. Yeah, nothing ideological, but just a spirit. The spirit of humanity. You know, a connection with the earth. And that better times will happen, which is what really, you know, uh, uh, if you can follow that path, 
And in fact, people can start following that path. You know, we can uh, put the brakes on climate change and start creating a healthy environment. Yeah. You know, which is really the first big step. Well, then maybe there'll be hope for this country, but in the meantime, you can't uh, let your spirits fall. No, I, I'm full of Yeah, no, no, it's, I was going to say, no, I, I fully believe that that this is just a passing this is just a passing moment in history maybe the passing moment is 5000 years long i truly believe that it's we will create a utopia in this world we will bring heaven to earth it might not be me it might not be the next 1000 generations i don't think evil can win and it's we can't find that positivity here i would agree to disagree and say that we can we just have to we have to be the source of it in our own lives we have to start with ourselves and absolutely you know and it starts with each person yes sir that was a beautiful conversation mr douglas valentine we've ran an hour i said i'd only keep you for an hour phoenix program america's use of terror in vietnam i'll put it in the description in the top comment grab it oh and before we go uh, no we'll tell that another time Uh, but I would love to have you on. I would love to have you on again, sir. Please, I'll send you an email, all right? Okay. All right, my man. God bless. Stay safe. Bye-bye.